Acts 9, verse 32. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who live in Lida. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who live in Lida and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was all, always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lida was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the windows stood up around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter, said them, uh, Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believe in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Thank you. Amen. Please be seated. You look a lot better today than we went mountain biking uh, yesterday. And um, he's just new to this part. <laughs> he got a, a Charlie horse in his calf. And uh, he's lying on the ground for, I think, 10 minutes and going, I'm so sorry, Pastor Greg, just bend my ankle just a little bit longer as he's uh, writhing in pain on the ground. But you look way better today, so congratulations for your rehab. Uh, as I was praying through this, um, uh, this sermon, uh, we're going to be talking about the fear of the Lord again today. And I, I don't mean to do it on purpose. I'm not uh, sadistic. But it's what the passage seems to be talking about. In last week, we saw the summary. What the book of Acts does is it summarizes itself as you go along. And so we focused on that summary last week. In chapter 9, verse 31, it says, They were living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. So the church grew because of the fear of the Lord and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. So we spend a whole sermon talking about that. Now, next week, we're going to be looking at the beginning of chapter 10. Now, listen to what it says. So we have this summary of uh, Acts 1 to 9 that is summarized as the people being in the fear of the Lord and, uh, and in the comfort or strength of the Holy Spirit. These are the so far, it's been Jewish Christians, Jews coming to Christ. And now we have this moment in chapter 10 where the focus is now being churned to the Gentiles being preached the gospel and them responding. And listen to how it's described 
in chapter 10. It says, God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation. So that's us, we're every nation. They only, God only accepts people from every nation. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, that was a joke. But um, God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And then this is speaking about Cornelius. You hear much more about it next week. But he's describing Cornelius as somebody who fears him and does what is right. And then in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. So we see these two elements again, the fear of the Lord and the uh, indwelling, empowering, strengthening, comfort, whatever it is, of the Holy Spirit. So in between these two moments, a summary of chapters 1 to 9, and then uh, the beginning of a new story, beginning in chapter 10, we have what you heard today from Paul. It is a, it's kind of a transition passage between these two moments in the book of Acts. And so we're going to unpack what this is about in this transition passage. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word does speak to us words of encouragement. And just as we've dwelt in worship on the love of God, I pray that now we'd be able to turn our attention to the fear of God and find as much strength and encouragement in that place as we have in dwelling upon your love. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is the emphasis then of this transition passage that's moving into this new section in the book of Acts? And it's simply this, that God-fearing people are characterized by spirit-filled service. The, when we look through, and we're going to go into detail in a minute, but when we look through this short passage, what we find is lots of descriptions of people either serving or being served. That if you were to summarize what a God-fearing person who's full of the Holy Spirit would look like, it looks like being full of service. It looks like serving others and even being served. So what unifies us as a church is our ability to serve one another. Now, you might find that a little bit confusing if you're here in a worship service, because right now you're hearing me talk a bit, and uh, you're seeing other people on stage, and it might get lost on us that the primary characteristic of the church is where a people who looked like Jesus, in the way that he looked, was living a life of love. And so if we're part of the church, if we're committed to what God is doing, if we fear him, it's going to look like we serve God and one another. So the first question that we want to ask them is why does fearing God increase a heart of service inside of us? What's the relationship between people who serve and people who fear the Lord? I'd like to begin with a quote by a guy named William Eisenhower. Many of us, is this up on our screen? It is, wonderful. Many of us presume that the world is the ultimate threat and that God's function is to offset it. So you and I can think that the main problem in our life, the main thing that we're to be afraid of is the world. Lots of people live this way, don't they? We can kind of shelter ourselves from the world around us because out there is danger and inside is everything that's safe. Well, 
uh, how different this is from the biblical position that God is far scarier than the world. Well, that's something new. Have you ever thought of it this way? I don't know. He's far scarier. I just find that a fascinating word, but that's what the word means. We talked about it last week, where phobos means terror, to be scared. We're to be scared of God. When we assume that the world is the ultimate threat, we give it unwarranted power. Now, that's a valuable thing to hear. You see, whatever we fear has power over us. And so when we fear God, he has power over us. When we fear the world, the world ends up having power over us. Whatever you fear consumes us, and we want theirs. We talked about last week where uh, we feel under their control, and we feel controlled by them. But when we rightly fear God, and this is the key, when we rightly fear God, there's lots of unhealthy kinds of fear, but when we rightly fear God, and a definition that uh, is in one commentary is the dread of displeasing him. That would be a definition of the fear of the Lord. It's the dread of displeasing him. Are you afraid to displease God? If you are, you're living in the fear of the Lord. But when we rightly fear God, we surrender to his authority. The, author the world doesn't have authority over us. God has authority over us. We fear him. And as we do, two, at least two things become true. First is we are grateful for his forgiveness. Now imagine, I haven't been in this kind of situation, at least not that I can remember, but imagine somebody um, being very strong, very powerful, and very capable of hurting us. When you are uh, facing somebody who can easily, you know, dominate us, control us, hurt us, perhaps even kill us, and then they extend mercy towards us, that's an incredible feeling. I mean, if there's somebody who we're unimpressed with and uh, we don't really respect or we don't fear in any way, and they say, I forgive you, we go, well, I mean, that's nice, thanks. I'd rather that than not. But when somebody actually has power to harm us, and instead of harming us, they come towards us with mercy and forgiveness, that's remarkable. And so what the fear of the Lord does is actually appreciate our gratitude for the mercy and forgiveness of God. If you're unimpressed with being forgiven, dwell on the greatness and majesty and might of God, and you will become much more impressed with the gift of his mercy and forgiveness. But as we do, we're grateful for his forgiveness. That's in Psalm 130, verse 4. And we seek to do what is right. We want to please him. The fear of the Lord motivates us to do what is right in his eyes. Now, follow me on this, because this is a big deal. I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes I'm not super motivated to do what is right. I just am kind of living my life, minding my own business. I'm not hurting anybody, so then nobody should, be, should get upset with me. And I'm just trying to kind of... Uh, quietly go through life without anybody noticing. And I wonder, why, aren't, why don't I have more of a servant heart? Like, why, why aren't I thinking more about caring about the people around me? And then I think, well, you know, I should just muster up 
some compassion for people and I should care more about other people. What we actually find here is that the, uh, the way to motivate loving and serving other people, doing what is right, is actually to fear God and to be terrified of displeasing him. Now, that's just such a foreign thing, maybe to hear from a pulpit, but for sure to be talked about, that the motivation that you and I would have to do what is right is because we're afraid of displeasing him. We talked about this a little bit. We were trying to be funny last week. We talked a little bit about this in marriage and, and how we should be afraid of displeasing our spouse because uh, we don't want to hurt them. Well, we magnify that and we realize that, uh, that we're not just afraid of, uh, of some kind of emotional rejection. Uh, God could judge us eternally. And that is actually a motivation for us. Not only does the fear of the Lord give us a new desire, as we come under his power and surrender to him, we also have a new ability. And so this is the link then to the being filled with the Holy Spirit. As we surrender ourselves and come under the control of God, we find ourselves being empowered by his spirit, forgiven first and then empowered by his spirit. So uh, God-fearing people are characterized by spirit-filled service. And if we struggle to serve others, what we ask for is to come to grips with the reality of who God is and to be terrified to displease him. The second thing that, that we see is we seek to please those whom we fear. This is now building off of the first point. So where does, have you asked yourself this question when you feel insecure? Where does your insecurity come from? When you feel insecure and you, you just don't feel like you have much to give to other people and you're mostly embarrassed and uh, you kind of feel worthless, where does that come from? How about if you feel guarded, where you don't want to love other people or care about them because you're afraid of being hurt? And so we kind of protect ourselves from the people around us. We don't really want to invest in them very much because they could reject us and that could be very painful. Or perhaps we, uh, we fall under the temptation of comparison. And we look at other people who are just way more well-spoken than us, just seem to have way more of the Holy Spirit somehow. I don't know what it is about them, but they just seem to be more anointed. And uh, when they pray for people, it feels like their prayers always get answered. And so we compare ourselves to others and we say, oh, I'll never be like them. And so we, out of this insecurity and guardedness, out of this idea of comparison, we kind of, uh, we kind of pull back and we don't serve others the way that we, we see happening in Acts chapter 9. Where does that come from? Why do we do that? Why do we get insecure? You know, I, I hear people saying that the, the primary solution to, uh, to insecurity is just to speak positively over yourself, to have positive self-talk instead of negative self-talk and say, I really am a good person. And I really do care about others. And I, I really have something worthwhile to give others. And we kind of build ourselves up. What we see as we're reading through the book of Acts is that our confidence and our strength to serve actually comes in from a very different location. That it's actually the problem is when we fear other people, that's what undermines our confidence. 
When I'm afraid of what somebody else thinks about me, I, 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 I become smaller and I don't even want to risk trying. When I compare myself to others, I get intimidated. Proverbs 14.30 says that envy rots the bones, meaning that uh, envy comes from in inside of us and infiltrates all that we do, producing this kind of insecurity. So what if the reason why, I mean, this is just such a radically different way to think. What if the reason why we would pull back from volunteering and serving others is because of misplaced fear? That when I fear what other people think about me, when I fear uh, whether I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look silly or, or whether I'm not going to uh, uh, perform the way that I want, what if what, what pulls me away from caring about others is I fear them or I fear my own reputation instead of fearing God? But when we fear God first, we respond to him instead of live in reaction to others. There's a, uh, I remember a long time ago, I was listening to somebody describe what the motivation would be if you uh, lead worship. And they were saying that what motivated them as they led worship is they only performed for an audience of one. Meaning that they just performed for the worship of Jesus. And they just invited other people into that to worship him as well. I find that it is incredibly difficult for me to serve others if I don't fear God first. Because now I'm just trying to please you and, and do what I hope you like. I'm not really loving you for your benefit. I'm just loving you for mine, hoping that I'll be liked. But as I fear God first, I choose to do what's best. I choose to do, as this passage says, to do what is right, as opposed to doing what, uh, what makes me feel good in the moment. We seek to please whom we fear. And the only way we'll really love others well is if we seek to please God first. What I've noticed is the diversity that's described in the kinds of ways that people served in Acts chapter 9. Listen to this. We see that Peter healed the marginalized. He healed the, uh, the beggar. And then he heals somebody of prominence, somebody who's well-respected in the community, who gives to the poor. We see that uh, people were healed for evangelistic purposes. They were reaching out outside of the doors of the church. And then we see with Tabitha that it, somebody was healed inside of the church. We see that the kind of service was described as miracles, but when Tabitha is described, or Dorcas, uh, is described as not raising the dead and healing lame people, it's sowing well. That's just as remarkable, and it's noted just as strongly. She sowed very well, and uh, she gave to alms to the poor. Great diversity. Even Aeneas, uh, when he is healed, he's told to serve, actually take responsibility for himself. He says, roll up your mat. In another version, it says, prepare a meal for yourself. When we come to Christ, we're responsible to serve. And what we see then is this huge diversity of people serving and caring for others in remarkable ways. When, uh, when Tabitha dies, there's two people that run for three hours from Joppa to, uh, to Lydda to get Peter to come back and heal uh, in the hopes of healing Tabitha. 
everybody is serving in a variety of ways. There's no comparisons. There's no insecurity. There's no, um, you know, feeling small and insignificant. Everybody is excited to serve in the ways that are in front of them. That sounds like freedom. What I find particularly interesting is that um, uh, instead of praying for Tabitha to be raised themselves, they go and send for Peter to pray, which means that they don't have the expectation that everybody's going to be able to heal. And people are comfortable with that. They go, I'm so glad that Peter will do that, even though I don't believe that I can. But we see a group of people committed to worshiping and serving there's, uh, I was talking with uh, Christy Crowder this week, and she reminded me of a quote of Martin Luther King Jr. And I just love this quote, and it sounds like the freedom of service. If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. You know, when we fear the Lord, we're not so interested in what other people think of us. Whether we have a, a job of prominence or whether we're impressive or not, we're just living to honor our king. And there's a freedom in that. There's a freedom to be able to be more concerned about pleasing God than about how we look in front of others. I think that's the fear of the Lord. I'm ultimately serving Jesus, and what he thinks about me is what matters most. So as we fear God, we experience being able to serve others. And then finally... The fear and the faith that we have in our hearts multiplies faith in others. In Psalm 40, verse 3, it says, Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. There's a connection between fearing God and trusting God. And that as we fear God, we put our trust in him. And that trust becomes infectious and blesses everyone around us. We see this in Acts chapter 9, where new believers come to Christ through the healing of the, uh, the lame man in Joppa, then they, sorry, in, in, in Lydda, and then they go to Joppa, Dorcas gets raised, the city comes to Christ, incredible. Also, the believers are being built up in faith. Here's what I'd like you to hear on this last point. The way that we stir the fear of the Lord and faith in others is by walking in the fear of the Lord and faith ourselves. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I see somebody who isn't trusting in God the way that I think that they should or could, what I want to do is I want to fix them. I want to make them be able to trust in God more. And so I'll, I'll, uh, you know, I'll try to say words of encouragement and tell them what I think they, need sh they should be doing, and I'll try to stir up their emotions. What we see in this passage is that a whole cities came to Christ, and commentators make the note that not once in this passage is it ever mentioned that anybody preached. All they saw was spirit-filled acts of service, and it gripped their hearts, transformed their lives, and they came to Christ. This is absolutely remarkable. That what if the primary way 
that we stir faith in what often feels like a faithless city is we walk in faith and fear ourselves. And as we live in that way, in front of the world around us, in front of the church around us, that becomes infectious, and the people around us also grab hold of faith. What a fascinating way to see the world changed. Do we want to see the world fear the Lord? Then maybe we as the church get to fear the Lord first. And that will inspire them. Why do they live the way that they live? What's unique? They fear the Lord. They trust in the Lord. They wouldn't do those things if they were just trying to please me or just trying to please themselves. They fear the Lord, and they do what's right in his eyes. I've never thought about that before, and I'm inspired by it. And if, and if, and if, and if that God can perform those kind of miracles and change those kinds of hearts, then maybe he can be real in my life as well. So then let me ask you in conclusion, um, who do you fear the most in your life? Who are you most afraid of? In Matthew 10, 28, it says, don't just fear those who can kill the body. Fear um, him who can kill the body and then throw your soul into hell. Fear him. But who do you fear most? Can you be honest with yourself? Who are you most afraid of? Are you most afraid of disappointing yourself? Are you most afraid of disappointing your parents, your spouse, your children, your boss at work, or those who work for you? You don't want to look bad in their eyes. Do you care about their opinion? What is remarkable about the early church is how clearly it is highlighted that they feared the Lord above all else. And my second question in closing is how has God called you to fear him? If fearing God looks like doing what is right, it looks like acts of service, then what would fearing God look like in your life? I find this a very helpful way to think. I think of things that I should be doing but I don't want to because I'm afraid. And so I just stay away from doing those things. But when I fear the Lord, now I'm commanded to do what is right and to do what pleases him. And so I end up doing the very things that I once was reluctant to do and I feared others and so I didn't do it. And God comes along and says, if you fear me, do what is right. Honor my name. Honor my name in your dating relationship in your relationship with your boss, in your relationship with your money. Do what is right. Fear me in your finances. It's powerful. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. God says, I have a grand diversity of the ways that this city needs to be served. And there's no one person that could ever contain all the ways that I want to serve this city, all the ways that I want to serve this church. And so I've created a community, a community of great diversity. And as you fear me, you'll do what is right. You'll, you'll concern yourself with honoring my name in how you live. And as 
you surrender to me and you do what is right, my grace, my empowering presence will be there enabling you to do the very thing that I've commanded you to do. Can I please encourage us to pray for the fear of the Lord? You know, I can't tell you how many excuses I have for my disobedience. I don't feel strong enough. I'm tired. I'm distracted. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm busy being busy. Um, I feel inadequate. I'm not sure how other people are going to receive me. I have lists of excuses that prevent me from being obedient. The fear of the Lord cuts through all of those things. Because there is a terror to do what displeases him. And he becomes, I mean, it's hard to say out loud, he becomes uh, scarier than the world. I pray today that our first response to our internal and external difficulties would be to clarify our fears. And Psalm 34 tells us that as we, uh, the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And as we fear him, he delivers us from all of our fears. What if the first problem that we face in our life is not a lack of willpower, not a lack of desire, but is a struggle to actually fear the Lord? And as we fear him, all these other things would find their rightful place in our hearts. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward again. And I'd like us to pray for this. Father, I'm struck by the truth of your word that describes those who trust in you as first fearing you. And Father, I ask on behalf of your church that the fear of you would find its rightful place in our hearts. And I thank you that as we fear you, your love becomes more magnificent and we find ourselves being able to love others in Jesus' name. But your word says that it begins with the fear of the Lord. It ends, I believe, in love, but it begins with the fear of the Lord. And we admit that it's difficult, that we haven't seen somebody raised from the dead lately in our city, that it's hard to see your might and glory and splendor. But I pray that we would look at the, uh, at the world around us we would look at the might even displayed in your creation and that we would be humbled by your magnificence and we would find ourselves longing to come under your control and to find life and freedom in fearing you as opposed to being driven by the hundreds of other fears that motivate our lives. We thank you that only you are worthy to be feared and as we fear you, we find the mercy and strength that we have all longed for. So we surrender ourselves to you in Jesus' name.
Amen. Let's stand and worship him together if you're able.